Welcome back to the LED Project Podcast. My name is Kyle Career. Welcome to episode 142 of our podcast. Uh, you're here because you're looking for a teacher story. You're an educator. You're someone who believes in this profession that we believe in so highly and, and we value so highly. And what we do with this podcast is we bring on teachers to tell their stories, educators to tell their stories, to show you that you're not alone in this profession, that it is important, and that there are things we can all learn from each other. So we're excited for this episode, uh, a conversation with Jessica Cabine, who is a uh, principal after a teaching career in Austin, Minnesota. It's so funny. She actually grew up about an hour from where I grew up. We were uh, not close in ages, but it's so funny because those are both... uh, very small Northwoods, Wisconsin town. So I um, was really glad to get a chance to catch up with Jessica. I appreciate uh, Chip Baker for the connection, but we hope you enjoy this episode uh, of the podcast. If you want to connect with Jessica after, you can go to her website. It's just jessicacabeen.com. Uh, and if you want to support us, help us out, you can click the subscribe button. You can click the like button, leave a review, or share this on your social media. So if you're looking for us, you can find Wilkie at its.will.law.iii. That's where he's doing most of his classroom stuff, including what he's doing with the Music and Arts Collective. And if you want to find our collective Instagram or Twitter, you can uh, find us at at value adds value. So we hope you enjoy this episode of the podcast. Welcome back to the LED Project Podcast. This is episode 142. My name is Kyle Krieger, and I'm super excited to have somebody who is born and raised from my neck of the woods in Wisconsin, Jessica Cabine, on the podcast. Jessica, how are you? I'm great, Kyle. Thank you so much for asking me to jump in. It's yeah. it's kind of fun to have like an old like Northwoods conference yeah, rival yeah, here yeah, on the yeah the yeah the heart of the North <laughs> Conference. It's so funny because you were on with our friend Chip Baker and mm-hmm. um, and he you know he's been great about sending people our way. But it was just so funny when we got to talking because you you live in you live in Austin, Minnesota, right? That's yes. What you, yes. Which yes. is if people don't know it, the home of spam. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I like to talk about spam a lot. (laughs) But we were talking a little bit more then about where you said you were from Wisconsin and it turns out like the towns we grew up in are only an hour away in kind of the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin. So that was, that was. Yeah. Like when I say Ladysmith, Wisconsin, everyone's like, where? So the fact that you knew, not only knew where it is, but like we've competed against each other. Yeah. Yeah. I really, yeah. When we, when we were in high school, the Ladysmith, we, we were friends with, like the Cumberland Spooner and Lady Smith guys were all friends, mm-hmm. but then we didn't like really anybody else. So, but I was, <laughs> it was good because we, at that time, the Lady Smith golf program and the Spooner golf program and the Cumberland mm-hmm. golf program are really good. And we all played golf together and then we all played basketball against each other. So it was, it was fun. Actually, my senior year of high school was the, uh, the year that Lady Smith won state in basketball again in 2003. Really? Yeah, it was fun. Wow. It was, it was, I mean, it was really cool to see those guys, but yeah. So enough about me. Um, so what we do on our podcast is we just try to bring educators on to tell their stories and just kind of mm-hmm. shine a light on all the good things that are going on. So could you give our listeners a little bit of your background in education and, and why it was that you became a teacher? Yes. And, and first off, we were talking off, off um, recording that these 
the the opportunity to reflect on our calling and why we do what we do we don't do this very often so i appreciate this opportunity and i just think to have quality time to reflect on our own why is so important in this work because it's busy and it's exhausting so um, I say this because I came to education very non-traditionally I went to school at the University of Wisconsin Eau Claire as a music therapist so I did coursework alongside music educators but my path was more therapeutic worked in hospitals nursing homes and residential treatment centers for students or, or children with um, significant you know, court placements, things like that. And so that road landed me in Clear Lake, Iowa, and I worked as a music therapist for adults with disabilities and love that work and love the power of music and how it can really work on goals and rehabilitation work and build bridges for all ages. And a little into that work, though, I really started to miss interacting with children. And so mm-hmm. I, I took a job as a music therapist in the St. Paul Public Schools. And so uh, I was able to really get get the best of both worlds, use my music background, right. and then also right. reach really um, hurt kids in self-contained EBD and autism programs in the, mm-hmm. in the 90s. And then at that time, they were looking for teachers in urban areas in St. Paul specifically. Sure. So I was mm-hmm. part of a cohort and got my master's degree in teaching um, for free. I had to turn around and teach in the St. Paul schools. I know it was an incredible program. Uh, So I went through a cohort of like 20 other educators between Minneapolis and St. Paul. And then I turned around and was an autism teacher for about five years in St. Paul and then um, started a family. And my husband and I, you know, obviously growing up in a smaller community, St. Paul Public Schools was a little large and intimidating. So uh, we made uh, the, the family choice to move down to Austin, Minnesota. So it's a, a wonderful community. Uh, mm-hmm. It's so diverse. It's got so many rich opportunities and I learn from them every single day. So it just, um, my why really was just, I always wanted to help people, I think was it. And I'm just continuing right. to figure out what age group I really want to help people in because I keep flitting around here, but um, yeah. I enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, but that's, I mean, that's a really, it's such a, it's so interesting to me that at, you know, that time, like they were, paying for people to get their masters and in, in these things and all because I was just ta- I, I was doing another episode of the podcast earlier and uh, uh, the lady I was talking with was like, we were like I I mean for what it costs now to get a master's it's like you really got to be committed and, and want to mm-hmm. go up up the rungs to to be able to do that so in your experience at <laughs> I just laugh when I say lady smith um yep. in your experience at lady smith did you, or in your college or in your yep. time now, have, has there ever been a teacher that really stood out to you? Well, and I've been reflecting a little bit on this too. And I really think the, the music teachers I had, you know, I think Mrs. Frommy, Ms. Eck, Mr. Tealitz, they really saw a gift in me and helped me cultivate it and let me stay after school, let me go into the band practice rooms all the time. And right. I just really appreciated them seeing something in, in me I didn't see in myself and learning how to become a performer and being on stage and, and doing those things, which has helped me grow a lot and kind of get comfortable in my own skin when, you know, in middle school and high school, that's not easy for anybody. So the, the, the music teachers really helped cultivate this, this passion of mine. Mm. And, and in your experience, and, and this is an interesting question, I think because you come from kind of an outside background, Mm-hmm. what when you get a really great teacher what is what is their value you think like what what are they giving to their kids 
and it's for me it's not a buzzword word it's really a calling to the work is they know how to tap into the whole child so it's not just about the student that's sitting in the seat today it's about the experiences that they brought to this point in their life their family connections um, their cultural connections that that make them um, who they are and a teacher that can really draw into that ask those questions and then circle back to those things really makes a kid feel valued in a in pen and sometimes I think with everything else that teachers have to do today so we forget those moments of just pausing and getting to know our students on a deeper level and mm -hmm. having conversations with them and, and learning how to Snapchat or learning about a new NBA team. Um, yeah. yeah. Like that, you know, even the fact that I pronounce things wrong, they still know I'm trying. So right. I think that's just, right. just really stretching yourself outside of um, the classroom and the students you serve during that time block, but just really looking at that whole experience and that whole child. So in our, in our lead up to this, we were talking a little bit, and you referenced it earlier, that you have a wide spectrum of, of age groups you've worked with. So what are some of the, you know, the similarities and differences between the spectrums? And also, mm -hmm. what are some of the things that are like working that are kind of concrete across all age groups? Absolutely. And so um, I'm very proud of myself. Uh, after six years at a kindergarten center, I finally graduated this past year. That's a big deal. You know, six years with 400 five-year-olds every single day is kind of um, a task in itself. So the natural, you know, progression of kindergarten is to jump right to seventh and eighth grade. I mean that, yeah, exactly. So, and I haven't been with middle schoolers in eight years. <clears throat> I, I don't even, I think we maybe had started Facebook and kids still had flip phones. So right. coming full on into middle school this year has been, a huge learning curve in some aspects with uh, instructional strategies, technology, one-to-one -one devices, social media. But I keep going back to my kindergarten experiences and working with incredible early learning educators that just, I mean, blood, sweat, and tears are on the table and on the craft table and in the play centers. But um, the one thing I'm really thinking about a lot is both age groups have wonder and why. They wonder about a lot of things. They try a lot of things. Sometimes the things they're trying, they really shouldn't. And then that lands them in the office with me. And they ask why a ton. Like you can't tell mm -hmm. a five-year-old just to do something because they're going to ask why. <laughs> can't tell a middle schooler to do something either without the why. And so, right. you know, really elevating their school experience by valuing their voice at the table. So instead of just saying, we're going to be doing this unit and, you know, but saying because of everybody's experiences, I think this is going to be a really neat project for us to work together on. Or it's just, it's really getting them more involved instead of the teacher just being the, the content knowledge holder, the teacher gets to be a student at sometimes too. And I think at any grade level, that's, that's totally relevant and important. Well, you know, and I can think to this, I'm, I'm 34 and I still want to know why for a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And especially in, as I've grown in my teaching practice, like I've learned that there, are, you know, there are things that I question, like there are certain things that I understand, like intrinsically that we're doing these certain things, but there are, there have been times where there's been other things I, I just like, I'm, you need to explain to me the reasoning behind this particular mm -hmm. decision by an administrator or, or whatever it is. So I'm not surprised that kids, you know, do the same. It's, it's, kind it's, of, it, it's awesome. The empowerment and the excitement and 
the moment that you, they know they've been heard or the moment you follow back up with them, you just, you see them walk a little taller and the smile a little bigger, you know, and it's, and it's the kids that might otherwise be overlooked or assumed to be the troublemaker or the student who's unengaged, the student who doesn't care. But if you can right. catch them in that environment and have those conversations, it's incredible to hear their perspective about how things are running or how you can improve on things. So. Well, and I just, and I just can't help. I mean, even me as an adult now, we're, as a society, there's, I don't want to say we're more well-informed, but there's so much more information out there that, you know, everything is on the table. So our kids are a lot more, I mean, I never read my dad's newspaper growing up, but our kids mm -hmm. go on YouTube and CNN and all, and, and they're seeing a lot more of what's going on in the world and, and they, they want to be engaged with it. So Mm -hmm. I think, mm -hmm. I think those are important. So, you know, kind of on that vein, you, we talked a little bit too about the importance of really dreaming big. So mm -hmm. I, I want you to talk a little bit about um, what, what, how that works when you're a kindergartner versus a middle schooler. Cause I, th mm -hmm. I think those are definitely different age groups, but. Oh yeah. Nonetheless. Well, and, and you think about like occupations, you ask a kindergartner what they're going to do and they're going to be, you know, an NBA star, an NFL star, or, you know, and then you get to middle school. And sometimes that dream or those really big opportunities, they, they shrink themselves. And a lot of times it's because of either academic stigmas or social demands or things, but those, they, they don't dream as big anymore sometimes. And in, especially in middle school, they're really in that middle place. They're not elementary anymore, but they're not quite high schoolers. And so now what I'm trying to, in, in all of my wisdom of being at the middle school for six months, now I'm the expert here, which is, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I have a Snapchat right. account, so I feel like I'm a pro. But right. one of the things that we, we talk about dreaming is, is dreaming, but with some individual determination on that. So we're going, we're going to graduate high school here in six years that's not that long, you know, it's like, so what, not. what are, what are you excited about? And, and really framing it, not just for your college track, but, you know, um, vocational college, cosmetology, culinary, you know, um, working in, in nursing homes and supporting our adults with, you know, in, with disabilities or going into the police or firefighter or so really, I get to have really cool conversations with kids about, okay, like six years isn't that long. Like, what are, what are we thinking about? What are we, what are our dreams for when we're done with high school? And it's, it's really fascinating. And I really try to plug into the kids who've identified that their parents didn't go on to school because they're the ones who have a really hard time envisioning a life bigger than what their parents had, even though their parents want them to have more than they had. If they don't have concrete examples or people pouring yeah. into them, it's really hard for them to see the next step if they haven't experienced it with their, you know, with their nucleus family too. What are some other setbacks you see with the kids on, um, you know, seeing, seeing the dream, but also start, starting to see the steps of, of, you know, like what you're saying as, you know, cause we can, try, we can try to explain to them that six years is not that long, but it's hard to have that frame of reference yep. when you've only been alive, like, 12 or 13. Well, I know in, in like a middle school minute is like a month and a half. I mean, it's incredible. Right. Sometimes they're, they're time sensitivity too. Um, we, as a staff, we watched a movie 
as a professional developer and watched Paper Tigers, which is a documentary about kind of an alternative high school and really working with students with trauma and ACEs. And the one thing that really continues to come back to me with that is uh, each of those people said, you know, the success for these students really was determined by uh, one caring adult. You know, one caring adult, one adult pouring into them saying, I believe in you. I think you can do this. You know, and if they make a mistake, you come back the next day and say, okay, let's try again. And so um, I've noticed that there's a pocket of kids that are just waiting to fail or waiting for people to give up on them. And so uh, those are the kids I just really want to pour into because I want them to know that I have really high expectations for them. And you're, and every day you're not going to meet them. And we're going to come down and come back up and I'm going to love you and care for you and support you and come to your house and see you if I need to. But you know, the bar is going to be here for you and I'm going to keep pushing you towards it. So um, really giving them the opportunity to fail and risk. And I think modeling that with teachers too. I think I always, um, I'm going to sidebar quick here, but this, I was trying to figure out a gift to give the staff cause I'm new there. And so right before the, the winter break, I had a little treat trolley. So a friend of mine walked around the middle school, not during passing time, because that would be deadly with 750 kids, but right. like cookies and water and water bottles and holiday snacks and things. But every door I knocked on, the teacher thought they were in trouble. Because why would the principal come into their room unannounced? You know, so I was like, oh my gosh, we have a culture of not even, I can't even walk in a room and people think they're in trouble. So how do you, if the adults are nervous, how can the kids feel safe right. to be? Right. You know, so we're really trying to be a supportive culture where we want you to make mistakes. We want you to try because I think if the teachers are willing to take risks in their, in their own content and craft, think about the kids. If the teachers are willing to own and say, gosh, I really botched that one. Think right. about the kid that didn't do great on that assessment. Well, try again. You know, so I think it's that modeling of um, trying, failing forward, right. you know, at any right. age. I think if you start to lose that. You're, it's going to really impact life in general. Yeah. And it's so crazy because I've been in those schools where it's that culture like mm-hmm. of, you know, when you have a, the, the principal's presence, it's never good. But then I've also been at schools where like the principal was really visible and when they were mm-hmm. around, it was just kind of like a normal thing. And, and you can tell too, like the, the schools where the principal's never been there into a class because the kids all of a sudden like, their head snaps around and they're like, Oh, what's going on now? But I think that's super important because I I feel like as a teacher, I've felt that kind of fear of not being good enough, the fear of making mistakes. And, you know, that was when I was early in my career where I thought like I was, had to be the expert and I had to know everything and you, you couldn't, you couldn't say that you didn't know. And, and Mm -hmm. you, you learn as you get to be an adult, you know, that's, those are the kind of skills, like you said, that, that we have to model. So mm-hmm. when your kids have setbacks, you know, with the expectation, you know, you're setting expectations for them and they don't meet them. What are those conversations like, you know, with, mm-hmm. with the, with the anticipation you're trying to get the kid to, you know, to, to raise their own expectations of themselves? Absolutely. And, you know, at this level, I really, I see that more in, in more behavioral expectations, like a misstep of, body boxing in the bathroom or sending something on social media you shouldn't or saying something to a teacher in frustration and so instead of just saying doling out a consequence and moving forward it's really an opportunity to do some wraparound support and learning i think 
a lot of times it's reteaching of skills or teaching an initial skill. Uh, it, these, these years, these middle years are really, you know, you're used to elementary school where you kind of get walked in a clump from class to class right. to class. Right. And then all of a sudden the strings are cut and now you've got to navigate seven different classes, seven different teachers and asking for help can be really hard to navigate. And so it's really just using that like, okay, if we could rewind today, or I call it a hiccup. So today was a hiccup. So moving forward, how do we prevent the hiccups tomorrow? Like what kind of water do we need to drink or what do we need to do so we can learn from this and move forward? So it's really always more coaching conversations versus a one and done. Like, okay, that didn't go great. What do we need to practice? And sometimes it's role playing so they can practice an apology. Sometimes it's mapping out our path to classes, but it's, you, I always think you have to look at, at it as a learning opportunity because we're always learning. Every one of us learns something new every day. And so we try to look at those setbacks as more of learning opportunities to move forward instead of just saying like, this is where we're stuck now. But nope, now we're just gonna figure out how to get over this hump so we can keep moving forward. So as an administrator, when you're, when you're trying to set those high expectations, what are some of the struggles you're going through with you know, the teachers who may be kind of ingrained in that old mindset where mm -hmm you know, they've been doing these things a certain way and, you know, whatever, I guess, you know, what are some of the challenges when trying to change that culture to really raise mm -hmm. expectations? Because you can have the highest expectations, but if your teachers aren't in line with that, right. if that's not the culture, it's, it's not going to work. So what is that like as an administrator? Uh, one of the things, and um, in the former school, I can't preach what I don't practice. And so when I was at the kindergarten center, I had never taught kindergarten, you know, and then they put me in charge of a building, a kindergarten teacher. So that's, right. I ended up subbing uh, in classrooms for full days and I give the teachers a chance to go do other things. But I think letting them see that I needed to learn the work first before I could try to make any changes because maybe I, I'm assuming that there's a better way to do it, but I haven't done it in t with 25 five-year-olds before. And, and having a common vision or a target that everyone can see themselves in has been uh, really helpful. So like for us at the middle school, we really want to see more of our students passing all their courses, not just the core courses. And we had a significant number of students that weren't passing. And so we set targets and it's what we talk about every week in our team meetings. It's things that come out in our Friday focus. We have celebrations at mid quarter and end of quarter around those targets. The kids know exactly what they need to do. The staff knows exactly what they need to do. And not just the teaching staff, but the paraprofessionals, the custodians, the secretaries, everybody knows the pl game plan. So then everybody can see themselves in it and see their role in it too. So that's been um, not assuming any negative intent, but just saying, okay, let's find that common target and vision. Let's walk alongside each other for a little while and build those relationships and then try to start to move the needle if we need to. So, so when you're working on that and setting high expectations, how do you navigate the the fine line between talking with kids about their mistakes and mm -hmm. not letting it turn into excuses or blaming mm -hmm. or things like that because I feel like there's a really fine line there between listening to the realities that a kid is facing and mm -hmm. the kid blaming everything or making excuses absolutely and 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 as educators sometimes we unintentionally because of students experiences or environmental cues we take that bar and we lower it a little bit oh they're adopted or oh 
they don't have a family or all, you know, so we have to be really cautious about that because it's well intentioned, but that's not going to get them the diploma or the sheet cake or the college diploma or the successful career. So <laughs> it's important to say, okay, these other experiences have impacted them this far, but we can't lower that bar for them. And so, um, a lot of times, like, and sometimes I come across a little bit, not sarcastic, but just, I'm like, would you say that to your grandmother? Like, is that yeah. on a dinner table? Because I can't imagine knowing your mom that that's acceptable there. So I'm not sure why it's acceptable in the classroom. So giving that perspective around some of that, like, not, not acceptable. We got to move forward because this is not, this is not the language you can use at a job probably not the language you can use like at the grocery store or with the police officer or with, you know what I mean? So it's like giving that context of generalizing the behavior to other environments. So they see that. Why? Like, why well, didn't like the way the teacher said this or that? And I'm like, okay, but you know, is that okay to say that to your parents at home or to your boss in the future? Or would you say that to me? And they're like, well, no. And I'm like, well then, <laughs> you know, yeah. so those teachable moments, but just saying, um, and a lot of it is, you know, it, with those difficult discipline opportunities too, where I might have to suspend a student or have a student not return to our school for a significant amount of time. You know, I give that space and then I try to follow up with them to make sure that they're okay. They're still getting support from their family or their new school. And sometimes they'll even message me a few months down the road and just say, I really miss you. And I want to come back. And I said, I'll welcome you back next year, you know, but we have to we made some poor decisions. We have to own those decisions and then we move forward from that. So um, it is care. You have to be careful because right. uh, it's not just about that student, especially with some of those choices they make that, that choice impacts the whole class and, right. and teachers today. Um, I see that secondary trauma impacting them so much. You can't, you can't leave that pain in the classroom or in the car. A lot of teachers bring that home with them. And so right. talking about self-care is, is part of everything I do. And even with new teacher training, I end the, the monthly meeting with self-care because I think that's something that, that we have to talk about as educators because we want to do this job for 34 years and finding a ways to set some boundaries around that work and, and to be able to have a life outside of it that you enjoy only makes when you come back into the classroom even more meaningful. Yeah, you know, I my first few years, I think I, I think I didn't I didn't miss one day until my fourth year, and I used to kind of wear it as a badge of honor, like I, I'll I'll suck it up. And there were days where I was like borderline sick where mm -hmm. I could have, but I it wasn't until a buddy got married that I left. And I you know looking back now, I just you know I wish I would have taken a, a day here and a day mm -hmm. there to just you know, whether it was spend time with family or go out and play golf or just, you know, it took me a long time to realize those days are there for a reason, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and even, even I had a really hard time when I started in the summer, just like turning off for a, a few weeks or a month when the summer started, I was instantly like, all right, we're going to reset and reshuffle and restack the deck. But it, it's, you gotta, you gotta unplug so you, and plug into yourself. You really, and that's, for educators, that's the hardest thing for, for educators to do because they pour into everybody else first and then there's nothing left for them. So yeah. it's always, I always like that life, the, the life um, analogy, like you throw that lifeline, you throw that life vest out to everybody else. But really, even like on the airplane safety videos, you put the oxygen mask on yourself first right. before you help others. 
Right. And so if you're really sick or if, if life's really hard at home, you've got to take care of yourself first so then you can take care of others. Yeah, you know, and I, and I think too, I learned over the course of my career on the self-care front, how important it is the people you surround yourself with too, mm-hmm. whether it's people on your campus or, you know, and the people out, you know, in your outside life, they can make a huge, huge impact on, you know, whether you're living in a positive space or whether you're living in a negative space. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, uh, incredibly true, Kyle. And I think positivity breeds positivity and negativity breeds negativity. Oh, sure. So. I I mean, positivity doesn't mean it's Pollyanna, but it's like, well, I do a lot of reframing in my job. Like, well, that could have gone better. Or Mm -hmm. my my standing joke is I'm the 73% accurate principal this year. So I missed a meeting here and I was late to this one, but I was five minutes early to this one. So, you know, or or this, this mediation went well, this team meeting went really good. And then this parent encounter went really bad. So my average turned out okay. But, you know, you just got to keep, keep getting up and going forward. Yeah. And I think and that, that was, a, you know, that reminds me of another thing. When I started too, I used to just think that everything was just, everything mattered. Like every moment was so overly important. And I had to, probably like, you're going to get a whole bunch of moments. You're going to make, like you said, there's going to be some good ones. There's going to be some bad ones. If you just really mm-hmm. kind of take the long-term view and, you just learn that every, every day, I wish I would have learned earlier that every day is a new day and you could come in. And Mm -hmm. if, if I wouldn't have carried the baggage from the day before the kids wouldn't have either. Mm -hmm. But there was a lot of times when I started that I, that I did that, especially because I was, you know, I grew up in Cumberland and I taught in Houston. That was my first job. So it was a, it was a really, you know, the the cultural Mm -hmm. differences were stark. So, but no, man, I really, yeah, you're just reminding me all the things that I was thinking. And that's and that's a crazy thing now being having been in the profession ten years now. You look mm-hmm. back and you're just I was I was in Houston in gosh, what is it? In November and we were driving and we drove right past where my old school was and I just was thinking to myself like, I wish I could go back now and start again mm-hmm. knowing mm-hmm. what I knowing having all the experience that I have now because it would have been I feel like it would have been such a different experience, but you know, we just take that into the future and do the best we can. And like I said, with, with the podcast, we just, that's one of the things we want to do is try to help the people that are out there, you know, not make the same mistakes that we did. Well, and, and Kyle, I'll share too. So before I was a kindergarten principal, I was an assistant middle school principal at the school. I'm the principal now. So, um, and my oldest son at the time was ages two to five at that time. Um, and, I am not proud of this, but there were three, you know, three days in a row a week, I wouldn't see him awake because I would get up in the morning and I'd be out the door before seven and I'd be home at eight o'clock at night. Yeah. And I missed a large chunk of his life. And as a mom, you know, nap time, I'd quick run into work or do something or do these emails or, you know, I was constantly multitasking because I felt like that was what I was supposed to do right. to be a good principal and a good, you know, wife and, and all these things. And so I look back at that and I'm like, I missed like nap time, like taking a nap with my kid. I missed getting him to preschool. I missed making him dinner some days. So, you know, maybe not the most logical choice, but then I just decided to become his middle school principal in eighth grade. That how does that, how does that, that? how does that go? Oh, that's, that's gonna be terrible. My mom. Oh yeah. 
every my, day every day he sees me in the hall i'll go into his class once he let me eat lunch with him that was my christmas present yeah my so. my mom was uh <laughs> cumberland middle school and, and high school are attached now and my mm -hmm. mom was running the computers for the middle school when i was in middle school and, and still when i was in high school so it was bad because she always knew if anything not that anything ever really bad happened but she always knew yeah. so she never had to, she never went to parent teacher conferences because everybody would just send her an email and she always tells this story when I was a senior, like I would, I would just walk down there sometimes because I had times and one time she was with some people and I put my arm around her and I was just standing there with her and they were like, my kid never does that to me. So despite uh, the pain that I am to my mom, she does remember me fondly at times. So. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I've loved coming back to the middle school. I love this age group. I love the staff and I, will never regret getting a year back with my son. I don't get, I don't get, you know, two, three, four, five, but I get 13 and I'm going to mm -hmm. hold on to this. And, and mm -hmm. um, so I think that's the other thing we can learn from this too is, yep, maybe 10 years ago I could have done this better, but now I'm trying harder today. Right. And that's, right. that's what I'm doing is I'm showing up to school every day, walking in the hall, kind of around him, but not right next to him. Kind of just, thing. just subtly, um, subtly hovering. <laughs> Yeah, I, I have taken pictures of him in the hall, though, sometimes or in class. Oh, that's and super, just kind of oh, man, that's super funny. See, if it were me, yeah. I would just be like knocking on the window every period, just like waving at him just to just to embarrass him. That would be what I would do. But no, well, and I've got another one coming up uh, next year for two years. So I'm really ramping up. Both my boys are going to get a lot of their mom in the next couple of years. Oh, that's awesome. So we definitely don't want to take up too much more of your time. So we'll get to the uh, the wrap up okay. questions. But yeah, it's so good. I, so it's so good it's like it's just so good to talk to teachers but then it, it, I just can't get over the fact that like through the grapevine we wound up getting connected and that we had connections so that was really awesome so the the last three wrap-up questions what is one thing you think all kids should be taught empathy empathy yeah. you, you can't start too young and you can't go too old but I mean just a sense of others and and yes we all have devices and we have our phone you know but like just taking the time to help kids walk through social situations reading social cues looking at people trying to trying to think about that i really feel like that is the skill that that everybody can benefit from right in all areas of life right so what advice would you give to a teacher who's struggling to really maintain those high expectations in their class it's oh i mean even as a as a as an administrator in a new building ask for help just ask for help it's not a sign of weakness it's actually a sign of being a strong reflective practitioner so ask for help find find a friend find a colleague get connected on social media um right. There's lifelines out there. I'm, right. I love Voxer for those conversations, one-on-one um, -on -one with people who are struggling. Mm -hmm. I love being connected on Twitter and learning from other people. And right. um, yeah, ask for help. You are, and, and the thing is, is you're going to realize very quickly you're not alone. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So for people that would want to connect with you and, and start a conversation or check out what you're doing, where's the best places for them to find you? Uh, I, on my website is Jessica com, so you can locate me on there and then i've got my twitter uh my facebook page is jessica cabine uh instagram i'm learning 
don't don't try to find me on Snapchat. It's pretty embarrassing. I don't know what I'm doing yet. So yeah, no. unless you want to see some growth in the next year or so, but um, really the website, Facebook, Twitter, things like that, just Jessica Gabine. I'm all, I'm all over the place. Perfect. So gosh, I appreciate you taking some time and I'm glad we, glad we got to connect and hopefully we can, can yeah. continue. I want to, I would love to have you back on when, when Wilkie um, is available. He's, He's in the throes of his doctoral program right now, Ooh. so his and he's teaching, so his his evenings are pretty booked up. But um, the last question: When it's all said and done, what do you hope your legacy is? Caring that I cared about people, that they that people, teachers, paras, parents. Yep, she cared about us. So. Mm -hmm. That, that was something that I really valued at the early years, you know, investing with parents right. as it was their first time coming into a school and, and really learning systems. And, and it's really something that uh, we kind of lose as we enter that secondary phase. And so I am pouring into kids in the hallways at, at bus duty before and after school. I'm kind of the sidearm hugger or the fist bumper or, right. you know, just those conversations and um, that they know I care about them. They do. I might mess their names up because I mess my own kids' names up at any given moment, but I care about them and they know that and I know something about them and I won't forget them. So that's kind of, I'm really, I love going to high school graduation and reconnecting mm -hmm. with kids that I might've served before or family members because I just think um, you just, you, you can always care about somebody. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking some time and coming on our podcast. Oh my gosh, it was, it was an honor. And like I said, these, these questions are just so reflective. And I think if you're listening in the audience, just take some time to think about why you became a teacher. And, and one of the neatest, the most powerful things is, is to tell that person, if you can, why you became a teacher. I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, to hear from former students, the impact that I made on them as the assistant principal, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is why I do my job every day. Yeah. And, and that, yeah, my, my, one of my favorite teachers actually lives right down the street from my sister in Cumberland. So I see him cause I'm up there pretty often. So I see him. He, he actually became the mayor of Cumberland. So. See, you saw leadership in him early on. <laughs> All right. Well, Jessica, thank you so much again. Absolutely. That was such an honor. So I appreciate this time too.